0: You can find a different way to work and still be highly productive, still be highly engaged, still be a great worker, but also be a better human. And you know, a lot of companies are, are getting this. They're seeing it. And why are they seeing it? Because when you allow men to be lead dads, that's great for them. It's also really great for working moms because they have an ally at work. It shows the managers that something has changed. And the most bottom line thing of all, it increases retention.
1: Welcome to the Disrupted Workforce, where we help courageous professionals explore, expand, and evolve in the future of work. Are you curious to understand how all these disruptions are changing how we work in our careers? Trying to self-assess and build an actionable plan to thrive in the future of work? Looking for research and insights from thought leaders to help you and your organization? Then this is the show for you and you found your tribe. I'm Alex Schwartz, And I'm Nate Thompson. And we are your hosts.
2: PDW fans, we are excited to share our amazing guest with you today, Paul Sullivan. To ensure you don't miss him or any of our top voices in the future work, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and to our YouTube channel. Paul is the founder of The Company of Dads, a media company and community platform dedicated to creating a community for lead dads, which we'll talk a lot more about. His mission is to help lead dads feel less isolated, more confident, and disengaged from gendered stereotypes around who does what at home. Before starting the company of dads in 2021, Paul was a journalist for 25 years. He wrote the Wealth Matters column in the New York Times for over a decade and also created the Money Game column in Golf Magazine. His articles also appear in Fortune, Money. Condonast Portfolio, the International Herald Tribune, Barron's, the Boston Globe, and Food and Wine. He's also the author of two books Clutch Why Some People Excel Under Pressure and Others Don't, and The Thin Green Line The Money Secrets of the Super Wealthy. Paul lives in New Canaan, Connecticut, with his wife and their three daughters and three dogs. When not running the company of dads or being a lead dad, he's an obsessive golfer. All Welcome to TDW. Thanks for
0: having me. And I'm really just glad you got the three dogs in at the end because all that (laughs) other stuff is nonsense, if not for two Bernie doodles (laughs) that people want to know, two Bernie doodles and a miniature schnauzer. So
1: amazing. Nice. All right, Paul, let's dive in. Now you had a cushy and coveted job as a columnist at the New York Times and you left to become an entrepreneur or as my grandmother would have said, a bum. (laughs) Tell us what sparked your passion to launch the company of dads. Uh,
0: with that question, I'm just going to crawl under my desk right now. Is, you know, like, like, a
1: bum. He's a bum. You know,
0: I was like, no, seriously, Paul. Like you had like what other people want in life, and then you screwed it up. Are you stupid? That that's how I hear that's, <laughs> that's how I that, that's how that question comes in. <laughs>
1: that's not how I said
2: it, but this is your experience, Paul. It's, it's your experience. It's not
0: what you say, it's what people hear. I learned <laughs> that right. years ago from Michael Maslansky. Um uh it was my dream, man, to to write for the New York Times and it and it worked out. It worked out for 13 years, more than a million words. Um, and it was awesome. Everything about it was awesome. And you know, people always complain about their job. Somebody, it was a job at some point. It wasn't always cushy. I mean, we, we did really nice chairs, like those Herman Miller uh, chairs. Those are really comfortable. Not cushy, but comfortable. Um, But it was good. But, you know, five years into being a columnist, I had two daughters. I'd already written Clutch. It was doing really well. I started giving some keynote talks about it. And my wife said, you know, I want to start my own business. And I said, have at it. You should. Like, everything's great in my career. You should have a great career too. And then she said... uh, I'm going to go tell my partner tomorrow that in three months, I'm going to go start my own business. And I said, it's the only time when a few times my wife and I have disagreed. I said, please don't do that. I said, right. what I mean? And I said, <laughs> uh, I'm a New York Times columnist. I can't tell you to lie. But um, remember your boss? Yeah. Yeah. Remember how he sent his last child kicking and screaming off to boarding school so he could divorce his wife and marry his girlfriend? Yeah. I don't think he's going to be super understanding. Like, let's just deal in the world of facts. Like, no, no, no. Client's first got to do this. <laughs> and she did. and. uh and I was totally wrong. No, I wasn't. I was completely right. And she came <laughs> home. <laughs> and the next day, uh, she's locked out of the system and and had to figure all this out and said, uh, what are we going to do? And I said, you're going to start your business today. Like, you know, why wait three months? And she said, okay. And said, what are we going to do with the kids? And I said, I'll become the lead dad. And she said, what does that mean? And I said, fuck if I know, but is it <laughs> only a time to panic? <laughs> and... What it meant was I had enough control over my time where I could be the go-to parent. And that's how we define the lead dad today. Yeah. It's a go-to parent, whether he works full-time, part-time, or devotes all of his time to his family, uh, and in many cases is supporting his wife or partner in in their career. We say in many cases, because you know, 18% of fathers in the United States are divorced, widowed, or otherwise single, but you know, it's taking the lead on parenting, Now the problem. Fast forward, uh, I'm doing this, but I don't really tell anybody about it. I'm not going around waving my hands saying Paul Sullivan Lead Dad. I'm saying, you know. Paul Sullivan, a New York Times columnist, cushy job. Uh, Alex's grandma would be super proud of me right now, as long as I don't Mm -hmm. screw this up and become a bum. Um, Totally. She'd love me. Uh, She'd invite me over. She'd pinch my cheek. She'd give me candy. Um, And then COVID happens. And I'm kind of sitting around like the rest of us who are fortunate enough to work indoors and not be frontline people. And I said, you know, I'm super busy. But I'm also kind of stressed out and I'm a little lonely. And I look over at my wife, who's super stressed out and is trying to figure out what's going to happen. I was like, okay, I don't really think I should go complain to her right now. She's got enough on her plate. You know, it's a bit of a shit show right now. I'm going to go to the Google because the Google will tell me everything. And the Google will tell me where there's a community for guys like me. And then I'll be able to maintain my cushy job at the New York Times. And of course, the Google tells me that there's nothing for guys like me. There's lots of stuff for moms there's lots of stuff for parents, which is really a synonym for moms because all the titles were taken for like, you know, mom's life. So they made a parent's life is really just about moms. And the stuff that I found, at least at that point, again, this is three years ago, for dads, wasn't really for me. It was, you know, filling uh, a need. Um, you know, dads who were struggling in their lives. They were, they were divorced. They were drinking. They were doing drugs. They'd been incarcerated. They're trying to come back to super important stuff. Um, or it was, you know, kind of very teeny tiny Communities for stay at home dads, which is fine, cool. We call them, you know, lead dads who devote all the time to the family. We don't use the term stay at home dads, but it wasn't really me. I, I was this, you know, I, I worked, uh, but I was a good to parent and there wasn't anything there. And then, you know, the guys you can see in my background here watching this, you can see there's a lot of golf shit in the back. And I'm an obsessive golfer, as Nate said in the intro. And there's so many communities for golf. Um, Any way you want to talk about golf, there's a community. And as I say, like, golf is fun, but it's not important. Parenting, mm. fatherhood can be fun, but it's super important. And that's really what kind of started the journey. And I sort of did the research, figured out there's 25 million men in the United States who are or could be lead dads as a third of all fathers. I sort of tested this out with working women and working moms to say like, what do you think of this? It was universally sort of accepted. And one of them said, you know, whatever you do, don't write a book, Mr. New York Times Cussy Job. You know, She said, go disappoint Alex's grandma and uh, leave your job and start this as a media company and community platform. And that's what I did. I left The Times in 21, and I added on to that, you know, workplace education because I'd had some success as a keynote speaker to, to companies, and I knew that companies were, at least for me, you know, companies are where change is going to start. And and most companies would screw up uh, the return to the office. They would screw up uh, the way people wanted to live and work differently uh, after the after COVID. And they, they would screw up the balance that that people wanted, not because they're being malicious, just because. You know, they suffer. A lot of companies suffer from confirmation bias. We used to do it one way. Let's go back to doing it that way. That worked. Well, but guess what? The world has changed. And so here we are. We launched in February 22. And now um, I'm talking to you and gosh darn it. I want to get, you know, I want to get on the good side of Alex's grandma. I'm not a bum man. I'm not.
1: That is a fantastic origin story. I just want to be clear with you, Paul, about one thing. When you said that there's a lot of communities for golfers. Swingers communities. You might be surprised. That's not. not that's, that's not course. Golf. That's, that's, that's not a that's golf not, thing. That's not golf ball. <laughs> I just want you to know that. Okay, just to be clear.
2: Okay, bringing this back. I didn't realize when I became a lead dad. I went through a big merger and acquisition. Walked out of that with a severance, and the pandemic happened. So I was going through a lot of change already. And then I'm in the middle of the pandemic and my wife comes home, my kids come home, the school's closed, all the childcare closes and we start reinventing ourselves. And I happen to have that severance in my hand. My wife goes, what are we going to do? And I say, I'm thankful that I have this check and I'm going to start taking over everything. You stay working because you've got our benefits and let's see where this thing goes. And I didn't realize it. I didn't have the language for it, but I, that was the moment I started to become the lead dad. Now, I had never been that before. And in the process of doing that, I was covering the kids. I was a pseudo substitute teacher with their online programming. And I was figuring out how to keep them entertained when we're trapped in the house. And we're not sure how bad this thing's going to be. And my wife's working. And all the while, I'm trying to do some consulting things on the side. And I'm sitting there going, I had no idea how much my wife was carrying and how much I wasn't carrying because I was so focused on my executive career. And then the second part was, I had no, no idea how much I was missing. Every day with my kids, my wife, my pets, the family dynamic and all the goodness that was happening that I just was off working, fostering a, a career. So I'm in the middle of that. And I start going, this is amazing. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> Why am I traveling all over the place, chasing this corporate career when I could be here? during the time when it matters most with the people who matter most. I was having this whole epiphany experience. And I think that was the moment I was like, I need to be a better husband and father. I need to be a lead dad. I need to step in and especially right now, support the hell out of my wife and figure out a way to turn this thing around at home. But now that I've said my story, I want to ask you, what are the characteristics and and behaviors of a lead dad?
0: Uh, it's it's just that it's, it's stepping up, but it's being confident enough in yourself uh, that you're able to disentangle you know, masculinity and money, that you're able to disentangle sort of stereotypes around caregiving. But one thing, having heard that story, one thing I want to comment on is like, was something like the company of dads necessary in 2019? You know, 100%, you know, would I have left my cushy job at the New York Times in 2019 to do it? No way. Because COVID, just as it happened to you, was a wake up call for so many of us men who said, wait a second. We can still be productive and work at home. We can still, and I mean, maybe you know, we go into the office a couple of days a week, but we suddenly can find a different level of engagement, involvement in our children's lives, in our in our in our families' lives, with our spouses. And there isn't really a detrimental benefit to all the other things we we want to do. We save on our commute, we save on all this, and we're super engaged. And when people push back on that and they say, well, "You know, what are you talking about? You know, we need to be in the office. We need to be there." And, you know, I, I'm frequently beat up on, on on Goldman Sachs, which is a company that's run by a you know a single divorced dude with no kids and unlimited money who likes to be in the office, and so therefore he wants everybody else in the office. But as you see, you know, people are fleeing in you know, a Goldman Sachs left and right. And I say, you know, when people say like you need to have a job, a financial services job, you need to be in the office, they're they're just wrong. I said, what are you talking about? How do you know that? I said, well, my middle daughter's best friend, uh, her parents are both an oncologist. They both work at Memorial Sloan Kettering, one of the great cancer hospitals in the world. And the dad is literally, honestly, totally truthfully trying to cure cancer. And during COVID, he realized he could run his lab remotely two to three days a week. Still needs to go in and see cancer patients and all that, but that's okay. He is literally trying to cure cancer. There is nobody at Goldman Sachs who is trying to cure cancer. You can find a different way to work and still be highly productive, still be highly Engage, still be a great worker, but also be a better human. And, you know, a lot of companies are, are getting this. They're seeing it. And why are they seeing it? Because when you allow people to be, when you allow men to be lead dads, that's great for them. It's also really great for working moms because they have an ally at work. It shows the managers that something has changed. And the most bottom line thing of all, it increases retention. Like, don't do this because you're a good person. Don't do this because you're a nice guy. Do this because you have run a big company and you want to save. Millions, if not tens of millions of dollars, or even hundreds of millions of dollars a year, on replacing people who walk out the door and go somewhere else because they don't want to work in a 2019 way. Um, And so, you know, just end on the question you asked: that quality of the lead dad is willing to step up and say, you know, this is who I am. I'm, you know, picking up more of the the load at home, but I'm also going to parent publicly. At the workplace i 'm going to be you know a voice for for change i 'm going to be the ally to the working moms i 'm going to go to the erGs that say parents and are really ninety nine percent women and i 'm going to sit there and i 'm going to start rub and that's how the role of lead dad, the role of men being more involved begins to get get normalized and, and become more accepted.
2: I like what you said disentangle the financial in that kind of power dynamic polarity in the relationship of Who's seen as the money maker? Who's seen as the great career? Who's seen disentangle from that and just focus on the dad part of it? That's fascinating. Look, I could have been
0: the—I could have won five Pulitzer prizes uh, and been the greatest journalist uh, of all time, and probably not have earned as much as my wife, who works in financial services, who works in asset management. It's just the nature of jobs that that people do, and so you have to accept that because you know you're both trying to fulfill your full potential. Uh, and that's what you chose to do. And I say, like the greatest English teacher in America is not going to make more than the stupidest, most coked-up hedge fund trader in
2: global <laughs> Connecticut.
0: It's just <laughs> not going to happen.
1: <laughs> that is a really good example, <laughs> Paul. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your own journey, which which you've sort of expressed through what happened, but I want to look at it more through a lens of metrics. So you, I'm sure, were still probably a pretty engaged husband and father when you were at the New York Times, but now you've immersed yourself in this world. You are codifying all day long what a lead dad is, what a lead dad does. How have the metrics changed by which you measure yourself now as a lead dad in this journey that you're on? What are the things that you at the end of the day, if you're saying, I was a great lead dad today, what did you do? Versus, hey, you know, I fell a little bit short today, what does that look like? You know,
0: whenever I want to be a hypocrite, I can't be. And that, you know, sometimes you should all be allowed to be a hypocrite now and again. And you know, when you put yourself out there as the founder of the company of dads, as the leadiest lead dad in America, you got to do what you talk about. And so I'll give an example. You know, one of the things we propose early on. Earlier this year was the notion of care shifts, and a care shift was a way for for-profit companies to not do something good for their employees to do something good for the company, and that was to allow certain people to adopt into uh, different hours in which they would work, you know, synchronously with everybody else. And what does that mean? It means like you know, some certain companies have adopted between ten and three every day, wherever whatever your office is, whether it's in Miami or Denver or anywhere else you're going to be working synchronously between 10 and 3. And that works really well for caregivers, particularly for parents, because that's generally when kids are in school. And what do you do with the rest of your time? Well, you're not just working a five-hour day. It means you got to sort of make up time in the morning. You got to make up time in the afternoon or in the evening, which we all can do because, you know, some of the things we do, you know, emails, you know, presentations, they're probably better done when it's quieter anyway. And, you know, I have to work a care shift. And there are some days when, I wish I didn't have to. If I don't work that care shift, then I'm a hypocrite and I have to show that it can be done. And the best part about doing it is I can get to I can see like where there are struggles, where it stretches and it makes me a better organizer of my time. But you know, it's like, okay, I can work today until 315 when I'm gonna leave and pick up two of my daughters at work uh, at school, then we're gonna come back. I know I'll get an hour in and then I'll do some stuff tonight. And it's okay, but I have to walk the walk and talk the talk if I'm really gonna, you know, help bring about change um, for families and, and for companies.
1: I love that, and I think it, it resonates a lot with me, right? Because I am uh, divorced and remarried, and I have a eight year old boy uh, from my first marriage, and I'm totally crazy about him. And I have made it my mission since I started this journey to kind of, you know, single parenting to be really, really leaned in during the time that I have him. And what that requires oftentimes is, you know, he gets up at six o'clock in the morning. So I try to do creative work and kind of the quiet work very early in the morning. My my wife and I call it forest time. You know, I'm up at like four in the morning, you know, cranking away, trying to do that creative work. And I also uh, can empathize with what you just said. So today, my son has an ear infection and also pink eye. And my ex his mother uh cared for him yesterday afternoon, and I was planning to spend the day with him and taking him to you know art Basel things here in Miami showing him some art doing some cultural stuff and I was thankful that that got pushed to Friday because Nate and I had a whole lot of work to crank on so mm-hmm. it's 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 like sometimes that balance is hard and there are there are absolutely days where you know I give my kid you know an extra hour of screen time that I wish I didn't have to give him in order to be fully present during the time that I'm with him as opposed to being sort of partially available, which is like, I'm with you, but I'm on my phone. I'm with you, but I'm answering calls. Mm-hmm. I'm with you, but I'm fill in the blank. But the balance is not an easy thing to achieve. For me, you know, one of the things I've really worked on
0: super early in the morning is to make sure every single day I exercise. And that means that I don't, every single day I don't exercise. But if I plan to do it every day, let's say I do it four or five times a week, I feel better about myself. But it's like, how do you you know schedule things? And so this isn't an easy thing to do if you're not somebody who loves planning and loves using their calendar. I mean that's just the reality of it. You have to be you know organized to make this work,
1: or else it's 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 going to be very very challenging. I I call it calendar Jenga. Oh,
0: so do I <laughs> exactly? That's that. And you you're pulling the things out and you're like, yeah, shit. I yeah. hope I don't pull out one too many. It all goes down, and
2: I got to put it all back together. Yeah. Your position is that lead dads have been neglected in the workplace. I concur. I can remember having a conversation in 2018 with a guy who was on my team. I was running strategy and innovation at Oppenheimer funds and he was having a baby and he goes, I'm so excited to take paternity leave. And I just stopped for a minute and I went, I never had, I never had that for my kids. No one ever offered me any kind of benefit when I had my kids. In fact, my boss at the time, when I had my first son, Cameron goes, I need you back at work. I'm not joking. There was no empathy for anything. She said, I need you back at work. And so I wanted to ask you, given how much has changed, can you give us kind of a tour of the evolution of dads at work? Sort of past was pretty crappy, (laughs) whatever you can say there. And then where are we now? And then where do you hope that we can get to going forward?
0: Yeah, and one of my favorite things to do is to really shame dads in their 60s and 70s. And I know we're not supposed to shame people, but I love it. Because <laughs> when I explain the whole thing, they're like, well, I was kind of a part-time... the like, no, you weren't. You were not. You didn't give it. <laughs> no, no not were. at all. And your kids are paying the price for your neglect.
2: Like, what are you therapy? talking about? <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's, it's, your fault. it's your fault. And you don't even have a plane. You, you still fly commercial like the rest of us. So like, what was the point? You know... Pre-COVID, there was a, a professor at Northeastern in, in Boston, Massachusetts named Jamie Ladge, and she did great research with a co-professor at Boston College around the penalties that men faced when they wanted to, to parent, to be full-on parents, to be what we call lead dads, to take you know paternity leave. Um, and they were penalized because they were seen as insufficiently committed to work. Now, women who've had kids have been penalized in all kinds of different ways. There's a lot more research on that. We all know this. But men were essentially shamed into being less manly, less masculine if they wanted to take time off. How did that play out in reality in the workplace? It played out with senior managers uh, would tell stories to to more junior employees who were in that, that age where you're having kids and they'd tell stories that went something like this. When I was your age, man, I missed so much. I missed everything, man. I was here at work. I had to travel. I just didn't. I didn't say it, and they say it in a tone like that—that that isn't regretful, remorseful. It's boastful. It's like I was more committed to work, and I was here, and you know, I got to do this, and you know. I was just a breadwinner and I always wanted to say, I'm gluten-free. Why would I want you to win me bread? I don't even get that. <laughs> and like, don't even get me started about bacon. <laughs> and what happened was about 10 years ago, so pre-pandemic, companies started saying, hey, let's, you know, the, the push was let's offer equal benefits. And the biggest companies said, okay, this will look good. We'll offer equal benefits, but don't worry about it. Men won't take it. And then what happened, and Boston College has done research on this, what happened is men began to take it. And then what happened during the pandemic and after the pandemic is not only did men begin to take some of these benefits, but they began to judge companies on whether or not they even offered these benefits, whether or not these guys could be in their early 20s and have, not even have a girlfriend, let alone you know, the prospect of having kids. And that's how they judge the way the company's values aligned with their own values. And so the evolution now is the best companies are offering equal benefits to men and women. Here's the rub. Even those best companies may not be modeling the benefits of taking leave. What are the benefits of men taking? Leave? Well, it's good for them. Uh, all the research shows that it helps them bond with their children. They have a better relationship when the child is seven, eight, nine. If they take the time off, okay. But in the workplace, here's the benefit: suddenly, going out on leave is not just something that women do. It's something that employees do. It's something that humans do. It's something that you know people do, and it's accepted. And therefore. It doesn't carry the same penalty for somebody's career. Because if everybody is doing it, well, then it's just part of you know, the day-to-day work life. But still, the issue is not just how do they go out. How do they go out on leave? It's how do companies welcome them back? And a, a good friend of mine works at a, a tech company that we, we'd all know. And, and um, I don't know how, how widely he's told the story, so I don't want to name the company and get him in trouble. But essentially, he was in the HR function and this guy comes back. Uh, HR, remember, this is the human resources function? Guy comes back, is on a Zoom call, and the head of HR says to him, How was your vacation? Now, we all know like vacation is like going to Miami Beach uh, and sitting by the beach and having rum cocktails. I don't know about you guys when you had young kids, but I was not having any drinks with umbrellas in them. There was no fruit in any drink I had. It was largely just, you know, whatever scotch I had on hand to, you know, to keep going. But comments like that have such a dampening effect on whether people. Will take them. And then, one other thing on the same company, you know, they offer 20 weeks uh, paid leave for men, uh, or, or as I say, the, the, the non birthing parent and the 20, 20 weeks paid leave. They're considering for next year reducing it to 12 weeks. And the reason they're considering reducing it is because they're saying, well, like, we've done all this research, we've done these metrics, and we found that most men are only taking 12 to 14 weeks. So, why are we offering them 20 weeks? That to me is asking the wrong question. Those men may only be taking 12 to 14 weeks because they feel shame to return. They feel like if they don't return, they're going to hurt their career. They feel if they don't return, they're going to let their team down. It's not, you know, just because they don't take the full leave doesn't mean they don't want to. It probably means that the structures are not in place at that company to encourage people to take that leave and to sort of make the case as to why it's good for both men and women at that company.
1: So through the lens of all this, you know you identified a lot of the problems that are happening in the workforce and i think you've enumerated them in in a really precise and eloquent way i want to know beyond care days and beyond helping companies reframe around leave for dads what are some of the core solutions that you're advocating for 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 companies to consider and care for lead dads in a much more thoughtful and inclusive way. Well, I mean, one of the biggest ones is, and this is a purely—you know—I
0: am an only child, so purely naked plug for the company of dads—is bringing in resources that we provide to sort of call those men into the ERGs. And the example I give is like, if you have an ERG that's an employee resource group uh, that's focused on parents, historically it's really just been focused on moms. And if you have a hundred people show up. Uh, 98 are going to be moms, and two are going to be the two guys that that least need to be there. And I draw the analogy, and I don't know how many of your listeners have three daughters who love Barbie like I do. Um, but I saw the Barbie movie this year, and all jokes aside, it's one of the best movies uh, I saw for the social message it has. And, and you know, I'll quickly sort of explain why. In the Barbie movie, there's one guy named Alan. Alan does everything right. He's the guy who's gonna be there. He's gonna stand up for working moms at work. He's gonna help all the barbies. You know, he's a great guy. All the other men are Ken. They can all they're interchangeable. They're just called Ken. Whatever, you know, there are a hundred Kens and one Alan. And at the end of the movie, you know, anarchy ensues. Uh, the one Ken played by Ryan Gosling uh discovers this thing called patriarchy. He's giddy with the the idea that comes back creates a Mojo Dojo Casa house, which is the worst rat house you've ever seen in your entire life, except it's pink, so it's a little weird. Uh, and they go from there. And in the end, they sort of bring them all back and they get those guys out of the Mojo Dojo Casa house. And what I say is like, when you can have uh, leaders of your ERG who are both men and women, who are both moms and dads, you change the dynamic, you change the structure of how the company looks at that. And what you end up doing, instead of having 100 people show up, You maybe get one hundred and fifty. You maybe get one hundred and sixty. You still have the two Kens sitting there, you know, doing all the right things. They're awesome guys. But then you get the fifty or sixty. I'm sorry, the the two Allens. Then you get the fifty or sixty Kens. And it's so important to get those Kens in there because they're the ones who are persuadable. They're the ones who are going to be allies. They're the ones who are going to say, "Hey, I want to be a better dad." You know, I'm thirty one years old. I'm thirty four years old. I want to be a better dad. my dad was. Um, I love my dad. My dad did the best he could, but like, why does it have to be like this? And once those voices are there, you have both the men and the women talking um, the same language. And that's how change really
2: begins at the corporate level. So I've been in HR in and around HR for many different stints in my career. And I, as a parent, as an employee, as an HR executive, I've never seen anything affinity or ERG for dads. And prior to the pandemic, I would have dared to say, if you tried to start a dad ERG, you might get whacked on the head. (laughs) Honestly, I think because there's so many groups that need support, I think if a white guy with white privilege who's six feet too tall walked into a room and said, hey, I think we should start a dad group, honestly, I think somebody might hit me. (laughs) So (laughs) now, I think only now, because of the pandemic and the realization around mental health, well-being, being a present-loving parent, and these kind of things of what it, this awakening about being home, I think we can now start to have those kind
1: of ERGs or affinity groups.
2: Is that fair? What I'm, what I'm thinking. I, about? I just
1: can't believe Nate just said that he's six foot two. There is no chance. <laughs> No <laughs> chance. All right. Anyway, go uh, ahead. Uh, I was going to say like, you know, th- that, that's
0: my sort of in, that's my wedge. It's like, you know, 5'11", bald, and some might say eight to nine pounds overweight. I'm not going to go any more than that. Uh, it's just a little doughy around the edge. Um, I will say, I think you would have been surprised. Well, you were in financial services, so I don't know if you would have been surprised. In other industries, you would have been surprised that, that once men started to, to stand up for this. I mean, some of the greatest allies of the company of dads are women who run uh, DEI or, or you know women in the, the CHRO you know role at, at different companies because they immediately get the need to have allies, to have this presented not as a women's issue, but as a parenting issue. And I always take the lens and bring it back a little bit further and talk about caregivers. And I say, like, you may not be a parent or you may be at a stage where your kids are older and so you're not really that, actively parenting, but we're all going to be caregivers and we're all going to have this. And so once you sort of pull the lens back and show like the metrics as to why this works, most companies will get it. However, I've had conversation, I had a conversation with a gigantic insurance firm and I was like, man, they love me. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be gravy train. Uh, it's going to be great. And I was like, like, six people on the call called me back and like, you know what? Uh, we, uh, we're not going to do this. We, we got to focus more uh, on our women's group. Uh, and this doesn't, you know, align. And I said, but look, da, 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 da. like you know, men are more involved. It, it, it helps them at work. It helps women. And when men and women are allied, it shows. The, and like, yeah, no, we're an insurance company. We're all a bunch of white guys. So we're not going to do this. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> I got it. Um, so it's like not everybody is going to to get it. Um, yeah. but I mean, right now, I mean, I to talked to this guy who, who works at a private equity owned um water company, which probably narrows it down a lot. Um, um, but. You know, he was saying that early on, he would go to these these meetings and he would leave. He would go to these meetings and leave because ERD meetings, parents, because he just didn't feel like he fit in, and he just felt like he was the guy like taking the sandwich and the iced tea and didn't know what to say. And so th- that's that's a loss for those companies, and that's a loss because you have somebody who's there who wants to be part of something, who, if you give them a little bit support, you know, can really do great things and be more allied at work, but also be more loyal to to that company in the long.
2: I think you gotta make it safe. So um by that I mean it's okay to be a dad and to be in an ERG or an affinity group and to see this bigger picture and to care about being a better parent and and to give space for that conversation and those people. I've never been in an organization where I saw that as safe, is when that's why I just said the thing that I said to you of I think somebody probably would have smacked me if I would have brought that up. But I'm but really you also grateful. you also
0: said Nate like just kind of like listen to the pronouns. You said that when you're when Cameron was born, you know your your manager said that you needed to be back immediately, and you said she wanted me there. So it's like you know you have a woman who's you know th- th- like okay, you need to be there. You're not the non birthing parent. You're going to be fine, but
2: it misses out all that other stuff. Like her. You know, so this brings I, me right to the next part. Is it her perspective was. I don't even want to hear about it. Your wife is handling that. You get back here. And my role was traveling in um, executive leadership development. So I was flying around delivering this content. And she goes, I need you on a plane. And I I was just trying to wrap my head around, (laughs) which brings me to my next question. Do you think that people who don't have kids who are in leadership roles get it? Because this woman did not have kids and she had no empathy. For the kid dynamic, it, now that could be a gross generalization. But do you think that people who don't have kids can understand what parents go through?
0: Look, I mean, I, I was kind of banging on about David Solomon at Goldman Sachs. You know, earlier he's a a divorced single guy with no kids and unlimited money. Where does he want to be? He wants to be in the office. He has a lens. This is sort of you know behavioral finance. You know, 101, like people have anchoring biases, people have confirmation biases. I got to this level in my career by doing X, Y, and Z, and therefore I would expect you to do the same thing. Now, the reality is the time was different, times change. I'll never, I, I don't like generalizations. I'm not gonna say like people without kids can't do this, but it's one of the reasons why we often pivot and just don't talk about lead dads and working moms. We talk about caregivers because you may not have any children, you may never have any children, but you're not gonna get through life without being a caregiver, whether that's uh, a spouse a partner, a best friend, uh, an an aging parent. At some point, there's going to be a a pull on your time to care for somebody else. And wouldn't you rather be at a company that trusts you to do your job, that believes that they've hired the right people, that knows that you're going to do whatever you can to get your work done? However... You gotta be, you gotta be a human right now, and you have this, you know, care emergency. That's what we talk about care. You have this care emergency. You know, your 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 dad, your eighty seven year old dad, just fell down the stairs, and you live uh, fifteen hundred miles away from him. You have to go and tend to him, and you may be out for hopefully just a week. You'll check in, and when you have companies that say that is fine, you we will cover for you. We'll get back to you. That's setting up an environment that people feel like, okay, we really are a team, we really are working together because. This person is going to do the best job that she possibly can. But right now, for the next week, the next month, she's got to you know care for her 87-year-old dad who just fell downstairs. the
1: stairs. Well, I would love to ask you a little bit about where we started, which is this idea that there is no place or community for lead dads or for dads in the workplace, and that you've started this company as a beacon to lead that charge, but... We have been looking a lot into what Vivek Murthy, our Surgeon General, has called a loneliness, Loneliness, yeah, loneliness, a a loneliness epidemic here in the United States. And typically, when men are feeling lonely or isolated, uh, the statistics point to drug abuse, video games, violence. We we don't do well typically as a species when we're lonely and isolated. You know, our our reactions are not. Uh, primed for being outstanding members of society. So I wanted to ask you first, are there other resources or places that men can go? And two, what do you think are kind of the core elements that support mental health better for men who are feeling lonely or isolated in their role as fathers? Uh, to answer the, the second part first, it's it's
0: connection. It's finding somebody who's in the same situation as, as you are, and that that goes for for anybody who's who's struggling. You know, with mental health or just struggling to get through the day. Like, am I alone? And our minds are amazing, and they're also really fragile and weak. And we begin to think of ourselves like we're the only person. You know, going through this. Are there other communities for men? Of course, there are. There are tons of things. You know, think of think of you know DraftKings exists. Think fantasy football uh, exists. Think of all these things that that bring people together. You know, in a shared hobby. But one of the issues, and one of the things we try to really combat, is the research shows that when men socialize, they typically socialize shoulder to shoulder. That means, you know, we're next to each other, and we're watching something or watching something on TV. We're at a sporting event. We're, we're observing and we're talking, but we're not really looking. For it. And then the research shows that women uh, typically socialize face to face. They're uh, having a conversation over something. And so, one of the things we do is each month we have these these themed. Meetups. And the idea is like this, we try to do them in person. That was really tough because, you know, the only people who can come are the people who are within 30 miles of you. Um, And so we just do them on Zoom. We limit it to 20 people. Everyone is filled and they have a theme. We did one just last night in which uh, it was Festivus, the Seinfeld, the great Seinfeld episode. And we had a Seinfeld writer on there. Uh, And this Seinfeld writer uh, is guy named Bill Masters. And he is married to a woman named Gail Berman, uh, who is uh, one of the successful people in Hollywood of all time. She ran Fox, she ran Paramount, um, if you ever saw the Elvis movie, uh, you watch uh, Wednesday on Netflix. And Bill, yeah, was a Seinfeld writer. He ran, He was in other shows, super successful. Movie, but he was the lead dad. And he came on to tell his story, to tell his story of what it was like to be a lead dad in Hollywood. And suddenly all the guys on the call, 15, 16 other guys on the call... They're all laughing. They're all sharing their stories. They're asking him as another dad, like, how do you make your kids laugh? Do your kids laugh at all your jokes? You're a funny guy. And and suddenly they were engaged with him, not as this super famous, super successful Seinfeld writer, but as a lead dad like them. And that's one of the things we talk about is like when you get these guys together in this community, you can show how many similarities we have, how many commonalities we have as men and as lead dads, and those bring us together. And that's what we're trying to do. Is this going to happen overnight? No way so it's going to happen overnight. But it builds iteratively and people say, hey, I like this community. I like this feeling. I like being able to talk to these guys who aren't going to say, are you Mr. Mom? Are you, are you like the house husband?' Yeah, no, yeah. No, I'm a lead dad. And this is why I'm a lead dad. And this is what it means. And you come together in a group, you know, I hate this phrase, safe space, but it's really what it is. It's a space where you can sort of have these conversations and feel uh,
1: completely, completely accepted. I really love that. And I love the call out on feeling empowered on telling guys that don't get it what it means and why it's important and really having the confidence to do so. Paul, we're going to take you into a speed round to close things out. We're going to ask you five questions and we would like you to answer them in a minute or less. And uh, should I stretch? Yeah. Should I stretch anything like yeah, this? Or Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready, guys. It's been going well so far. Let's see how we end it. Let's bring it home. So I'm going to kick this off. Paul, what is one of the funniest fatherhood parenting stories you've heard?
0: Uh, Well, my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter was three. We still tell the story. I took her to the pediatrician, a room full of uh, women, uh, middle of the day. She'd been having some issues with strep, uh, which at that age was in her vagina. And she walks in, looks around and says, daddy, why are we in the pediatrician's office? My vagina is fine. (laughs)
2: Oh, man. (laughs) All the eyes (laughs) rotate over. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, you recently proposed the end of the out of office in manager's calendars. What is the benefit of this? What does that mean? What are you really doing with your time? OOO
0: could be anything. OOO could be, uh, you know, playing golf. I'm not really doing any work. OOO could be, I'm going to my daughter's uh, fifth grade graduation, you know, OO could be, you know, I just need uh, some time to do something. When you can be honest with your calendar, this is like what you were saying before, Nate, around, you know, not feeling that you could have taken the time off. If you can look in somebody's calendar and say, that guy is like four levels above me and it says from three to 4.30, he's spending time with his daughter. Well, I guess if he can do it, then I can do it. So once you actually say why you're OOO, it begins to model the behavior that all the HR departments are saying, here are the policies, we have these policies. But if you don't model people actually taking and using those policies, they're not going to come into effect. So we always tell this example, this guy named David Holman, he's based in Portland. He's a uh, uh, partner at a, um, a wealth management firm. Um, so a being is very important because he can't be fired. And he began putting in his calendar that from... 7 to 8.30 each morning, he was going to take his son to school. And why this was significant, because the center of gravity of the company was in New York City. So there's a three-hour time difference from where he was in Portland. And he put it there. And in the beginning, people in New York, 10.30, 11 o'clock their time, they'd call him and be like, Hey, man, uh, I got some questions here. And he's like, uh, It says here that I'm, I'm taking, taking my son to school. I'm happy to call you and talk to you afterwards. And it took a while, but they stopped calling him. And that was good for him. Great. But it was better for all the men and women who are below him in the organization. Because they said, well, wait a second. He's a partner. He's modeling this. He can do it. He's honest about it. I guess I can do it as well. And he started getting calls from, from moms and dads saying, thank you for doing this. This was super impactful to me.
1: So cool. What role does gig work play in all this? Does this flexibility help lead dads?
0: Uh, I mean, yes and no. I mean, you know, gig work, it, it comes in when it comes in. And, and so if you suddenly have to you get uh, something done quickly... That's sort of, that makes it even more challenging for a lead dad. That's why there's something to be said for, for calendaring, for planning, to be able to know what's going on. Because, you know, when you have deadlines, you have deadlines. And so, you know, it's more challenging in certain jobs for sure. And gig work may be able to, to help people, but only if it's, it's almost, this is kind of an oxymoron, but if it's sort of steady gig work, if you have a couple companies that you do work for on a regular basis and you develop a cadence. Then it'll work. But if it's something, it's you know, it's an emergency. It's a crash. It's just going to make it more challenging.
2: Who should own this conversation? I think traditionally you would have seen HR because HR tends to own ERGs and affinity groups. But who should own this conversation at the workplace? I mean,
0: that's a great question. Um, I would love for there to be a battle over ownership. I mean, the cynical part of me uh, says the CMO, uh, the chief marketing officer, mm. uh, should own it. And they should own it because he or she is going to realize the bigger benefit to the organization. If we want to be a best place to work, well, we need some things to say, why are we a best place to work? Like a ping pong table and free fizzy water isn't really going to cut it anymore. Um, And so when you're the savvy, and, and, and look, the chief marketing officer has a budget and they can sort of say, okay, this is going to be something we're really going to promote because it's good for the company. It's good for our employees but you know what, it's really good against the competition because we're doing this and one, two, and three uh, are not.
1: Last question, and this is absolutely from both of us, which is if everything goes well, how will things improve for lead dads over the next one to two years?
0: I think one to two years is a little bit of a short time span. Um, But if we say, you know, in in one to two years, all big companies, all medium to large companies will have parenting groups that really include men and women. They'll have caregiving groups that really include men and women. They'll have leadership training from their L&D departments that teach the managers how to sort of be empathetic. One of the things we say at the Company Dads is we're advocating for small changes that have a big impact. I mean, short of paying me to come in and do this, short of paying somebody on my team to come in. And help you implement this. The cost is not astronomical. We're not building a new cement plant in Tuscaloosa. You know, we're doing small changes that have an outsized impact. And as I say, if it goes wrong, you've not wasted a whole bunch of money. And so that's how it does incrementally. Over five years, over 10 years, I think of it, you know, much more differently. Over five, 10 years, it becomes uh, you know, benefits around caregiving, around lead dads and working moms become what mental health care is today. You know, 20 years ago, how how many companies actually offered comprehensive Mental health care. Today, every company does. And you wouldn't work for a company that didn't offer that as a benefit. I see this as a benefit going forward that in five, 10 years, it just becomes normal. And it becomes normal because millennials are are driving it. This is what they want. And companies are going to have to respond.
1: Paul, thank you for taking a stand, for caring about dads, connecting lead dads, fostering this critical conversation, and working to improve the benefits for dads in the workplace.
2: Paul, where is the best place for people to find your work online? Companyofdads.com. Also, the easiest
0: thing to do is sign up for our newsletter. It's called The Dad. Companyofdads.com backslash The Dad. It's an easy way in. It's free. And it tells you, you know, once a week, everything that's going on uh, with Company of Dads, but more importantly, everything that a lead dad needs to know for, for that week.
1: Fantastic. Thank you.
2: Thank you for joining us on this journey. In a world where attention is scarce and content is abundant, it means a lot. To learn more about this episode, go to disruptedwork.com forward slash podcast, where you can find show notes and key details about the episode, our guests, and how to connect with us. Our website also contains additional resources for learning, including our future work mindset model and action plan. The best way you can support the Disrupted Workforce is to subscribe to our show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To help others thrive in the future work, spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing your favorite episodes with the people you care about. Disrupt yourself to unlock your future.